yeah, if you don't know me, my name's Dani. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're going to be continuing our series this morning, Truths That Transform. And this morning, as you've probably seen in GBC News, we're going to look at the truth of Scripture. Um, so yeah, open up your Bible at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. And let me just say right at the beginning, uh, as you'll probably see throughout the series, is all of these truths that we're tackling, uh, we can't say everything about them. And so if there's anything uh, that's raised for you that's not addressed through the sermon, please come and talk to us afterwards. Uh, even one of the things, that I, as I was thinking, as I was preparing for this, is we're going to talk constantly about the Bible and the Scriptures and one of the obvious questions is, well, how do we know what should be in the Bible and what shouldn't? So when I write a sermon, should it just go in the back of the Bible? You know, there's lots of writings here about Jesus and whatnot. So how do we know that? So that's the question of the canon. I'm not going to address that at all today, but uh, trust me, we can trust the Scriptures as it is right here in front of us. Um, yeah, so come and talk to me if you did want to talk more about that. But for now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 14 And I'm going to read to chapter 4, verse 4. And I'm reading the ESV. 2 Timothy 3 from verse 14. Paul writes this to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Father God, this time that we're warned of here at the end of this passage is the time that we're living in, a time when people will not endure sound teaching. People with itchy ears who's trying to find people that, that scratch where it's itching for them, if you like. And um, we want to be very careful that we're not like that. So would you please, as we come, would you speak to us? Would you help us to humbly listen and obey that we would endure sound teaching this morning, please? And if there are any myths and uh, yeah, lies and deceitful things that we have believed, would you drive them out by your truth as we listen? Please, Lord, be with us now. This is your breathed out word. And everywhere we see you breathe out things in the Bible, big things happen as you breathe life into Adam, as, you, as your word and your breath goes into the bones in Ezekiel 37 with the valley of the dead bones and they come to life. And so please, Lord, may your word and your breath be carried out as I speak and would you shape us, make us more alive, love us more 
and reveal yourself more to us as we listen carefully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, according to the Guinness World Records, uh, the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. Recent estimates concluded that between 1815 and 1975, more than 5 billion copies were printed. So that's, that's only 160 years' worth of data, and it obviously doesn't include anything after 1975, and it just struck me, man... There's so many Bible apps, free Bible apps that people download these days. So with that in mind and all the data before 1815, gee, I wonder what that number actually is. It certainly would be more than 5 billion. The Bible is sought after so widely, worldwide. It's not limited to a region or a culture like some other religious books, perhaps. We see this in the fact that the whole Bible, all of it, has been translated into 349 languages. Not only that, a whopping 2,123 languages have at least one book of the Bible in that language. It's big, isn't it? Now compare this with the book in second place, uh, you know, according to the Guinness World Records. Uh, It's known as the Little Red Book, and it contains the quotations, 427 of them, Uh, from Chairman Mao Zedong. I hope I'm not saying that wrong because he's the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party of China. So I could be in trouble for saying that wrongly. But anyway, his book was first handed out to the military and then it was distributed to the public. Later on, it became mandatory. And during that time, he even prevented the distribution of any other books so that they don't compete with his own work, right? And since 1964... About 1.1 billion copies have been sold, if you can call it that. How interesting is that? It's so different to the Bible. The Bible isn't mandatory anywhere, and yet it is wanted everywhere. It's the most read, most spoken about, most written about, and surely the most influential book of all time. Why is that? Why is it? Well, I suggest that there are many reasons, but we only have time to look at two of them from our passage this morning. And those two reasons are the authority of the Bible and the sufficiency of the Bible. So let's dig in and and look at this truth of Scripture that's meant to transform us, Scripture. And, And the first thing that I want us to look at is this. Scripture is breathed out by God. We see this in verse 16. Now, I'm sure you know this already, right? But our breath and our words cannot be separated. Do you know that? So our breath carries our words. Have you ever spoken and as you speak, put your hand in front of your mouth and you can feel your breath pumping in front of your hand as it carries our words. You can feel your breath. And with God, it's no different. And it shouldn't surprise us because we're made in His image and likeness. What is unique to God, though, is that even his written words, as we find them in the Bible, is described as breathed out by him. Look there at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. So all of the Bible, in its original languages and manuscripts, is breathed out by God. All of the 39 uh, Old Testament books that, that were written before Jesus' time, the fat part of your Bible... They are breathed out 
by God. All 27 books of the New Testament that was written after Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection and ascension, they are breathed out by God. All 66 of the Bible are the very words of God spoken by him. Every single word in the original is from the very mouth of God, spoken by his breath. And so that means the Bible is God's real, spoken, and true words. And as we say this, we obviously have to deal with the white elephant in the room, right? How can we say all of the Bible is God's words when some books are even named after their authors, right? So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And what about books like uh, Joshua and Jeremiah and others? And the answer to this question, if you want to accept it, you have to be ready to believe something of the Bible that is true of no other book on the planet. And it's this. You have to believe that the Bible is 100% God's words and also 100% the words of human beings, of the, its human authors. We see this in 2 Peter 1 verse 21. Have a look at this. For no prophecy, so that's bringing God's word, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But listen to this. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, men spoke and wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's as if, just as we speak, our words are carried by our breath. So, as these writers of the Bible uh, were writing, it's as if they were carried along by God's Spirit or His breath as they penned His words. This picture is even more clear if you look at the Old Testament, where uh, the word breath can also be translated as spirit, depending on the context. You know the famous passage in Genesis where, where the Bible opens up and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters? That's the word breath, right? And so it's so clear. As the writers of the Bible were writing, God was speaking His words through them by His Spirit. And so this book, the Bible, is like no other book ever written. So the Bible isn't simply about people writing how God had revealed himself and and dealt with humanity um, through history. It is that, you know, part of it we saw last week is how God revealed himself. It's not that you've got these human writers who just looked at that and penned it down. It is that, but it's more than that. The Bible is ultimately God's very own testimony of his dealings with humanity and his revelation to us at the very same time. So the Bible has both God as as its author and human beings, with God being the ultimate author that binds all of it together and makes it a unity. And you see that all the time as you read the Bible, just these little bits, how everything seems to connect it over thousands of years in a way that seems impossible. And it's because God is its author. We see this throughout the Bible, uh, you know, how it's both God's words and human words. Sometimes the New Testament writers, uh, they quote uh, bits of the Old Testament that was written by a human being. Uh, Some of the Psalms will even say, this is a Psalm by this person. And they'll quote it and they'll say, God said this. No, 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 hold on, I thought it was David. Or it was the sons of Korah or whatever. Or they say, the Spirit said this. Oh, was it? How did that get on a piece of paper? The Spirit doesn't have hands. You know, you you have things like that. And when you read the prophets, 
They'll often come and say, thus says the Lord, and they'll start quoting bits, right? This is what God said. And then later on, you'll go, man, is this still the quote, or is this guy talking? I don't know. I'm getting confused. Who's talking, the prophet or God? That is how it's meant to be, because it's both their words and God's words together. And so to summarize the idea that the scripture is breathed out by God, we can say it has authority. Okay, the scripture is God's word, as, uh, and as we often refer to it, we say that. You know, we're going to open up God's word, and rightly so. Even though this book, right, to the naked eye, seems just like every other book, it, it, it's not the same, it's unique. It, it contains the authoritative word of God that reveals himself, it reveals his will, it reveals uh, his plans for his world and people, and so it is very different. This means a few things for us. If you think about that as a point, it's got some application for us. Let's think about bit about transforming. What is, how should this transform us? How should this change us? Well, there are a few things. Firstly, it means that we, if we reject the Bible, we reject God. It's that simple. Even if we reject only parts of it, like it's quite common in some Christian circles these days, oh, we don't like that bit. I think that was written for someone else, or that's, that's a cultural thing, that doesn't apply to us. No, you reject all of it. You cannot divide God's words and say, oh, well, this is parts of him that we like. You either take all of it or none of it. So if you reject it, you reject God. God is joined to his word. So if we reject what he says, we reject him. And that might sound a little bit weird, but that's how we are, right? We too are connected to our words and how people respond to our words uh, show whether they accept us or reject us. Have you ever been at a party and uh, maybe you're talking to someone and a person that you don't know just buds in, they start talking to the other person that you're talking and, and they just talk over you, just take over. They don't politely interrupt or anything. And you go like, man, that, that hurts. Like, I'm, I was standing right here. I was talking. Do you care about me? Do I even exist to you? <laughs> That's how it can feel, right? Or have you spoken to someone um, and they're on their phone, right? And as you're talking, they're like, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, mm, mm, a few grunts here and there. And then at some point you say, are you even listening to what I'm saying? What did I just say to you? And they have to shamefully just be silent. And it feels like, man, do you, do you really care? You know, the way you're responding to what I'm saying, it shows whether you accept me or reject me. A classic one that I've been wrestling with recently is my, ki- my kids. You know, like they, Max has got this thing where he's like, Dad, I love you. I love you so much. It's like, yeah, mate, but it's been 10 hours and you've barely listened to me. You know, like as you're sharing things with them and they don't listen and they reject it, and they don't obey it, it feels like it hurts. It's like, man, it feels like you're rejecting me. And it's the same with God. When we don't read, when we don't listen and practice what the Bible says, we're essentially saying to God, hey, I don't care about you. You're as good as dead to me. Is that how you see not reading the Bible? Do you see it that so personally? Or, or when you don't read the Bible, is it simply that you're not reading this book, you know, with some stuff about God and it's some helpful things? Or do you actually see yourself too distracted by other things to be meeting with God? And you're saying to him, hey, you're, you're really not that important. Man, there's way better things, God, than, than listening to you, spending time with you and your word. Is that how you see it? 
I don't know how we can treat God like that and expect our relationship to somehow blossom. And it's interesting sometimes when people come to you and they say, man, spiritually I feel so dry. Just ask them, hey, how's your Bible reading? Oh, (laughs) it's been about five years since I am. Yeah, well, there you go. You cannot treat God like that and expect your relationship to blossom. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14 verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And notice the words that Jesus used. I find it fascinating that he never commands us to read the Bible. It's all about loving him. Okay? He says, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if you love Jesus, you will open his word and you will apply it. And he will love you in return. And his Father will love you. And he will manifest himself more and more to you as you do this. So see your Bible reading as loving Jesus instead of just reading this book because it's through, you know, like because of whatever reason. Because it is through this that God speaks to you and is intimately tied to his words. Uh, the second application of this point uh, is, is, is not simply the fact that the Bible is authoritative, right? Because it's God's word but it is actually our ultimate authority, okay? It's not, it's not my ultimate authority on my computer or IT or, um, you know, science, for example, or medicine or how my car works. If I want to know how my car works, I've got to talk to Matt or I'll open up the owner's manual. But the Bible is our ultimate authority on who God is and, and how to live in his world in a way that pleases him and that's best for humanity. It's my ultimate authority on that. We see this in the second half of verse 16. Did you see that? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, the Scripture is what we use to teach people about God, His will, His world, our our place in it, our responsibility, and so on. And so whatever the Bible speaks on, we teach and we teach it as if it's the, the, the ultimate authority on those things. And the second thing is the Bible is also what we use to reprove one another. That is, uh, we don't disapprove of one another's actions and thoughts and words just because I don't like them. No, we do it because God disapproves of them in his word. So when we point out something to someone uh, that they're doing something wrong as a Christian, we need to have the Bible open and show them where it is that they're falling short, where it is that they're failing to do or, or whatever according to the Scriptures. And the flip side of this is true as well. Okay, we don't just want to say, don't do this, stop doing that. We want to also correct them, and we use the Bible for that too. This is how God would want you to live instead. Have a look here at Ephesians or Romans or Corinthians or whatever. So, so when we correct people, we don't want them to leave here and say, Oh, I used to do this, but now I do this because Danny told me so, you know. No, we want people to say, man, God really convicted me of this thing that I was doing wrong and I was failing to do this. And, and I know how to live now because, you know, as Danny and I open up the Bible, God just made it so clear to me as we look closely at it. And I could just hear God speak to me. I could see it. So that's correcting. And then finally, the Bible is what we use to train one another in righteousness. So the more we listen to the Bible, 
and live it out and we pray and ask God to be at work in us, the more righteous we will become in all of our ways. Okay, and, and uh, other books and podcasts and whatever is helpful in uh, is helpful in training our righteousness, but only as long as they're based on the Bible, only as they're trying to take the Bible and help us deepen our understanding of it and application and so on. But if it's anything that's just human wisdom, some guy, some sharing some stuff that he found helpful or whatever, it's not really going to help us in true, godly, biblical Christian living. That's that's going to be recognized one day by God as you stand before Him. So the Bible is our ultimate authority on God and on godliness. And I want you to have a look at this picture because I think there's some other things that often are authorities in our lives as well. Have a look at this. So this is life-shaping authorities. That's just what I've called it. But you've got these things, right? So you've got the Bible, you've got tradition, you've got reason, and you've got experience. And they all have some sort of authority in our lives, right? So think of tradition, um, think of the tradition of your family and of your church. You, you might say things like, well, this is how my parents have always done it. Well, this is how I grew up, or in my church, hey, look, this is just how we've always done it. So that's tradition. Catholics are really big on that. So tradition and the Bible are equal. If a pope writes anything, it gets put with the Bible. Okay? It's very, they're very big on that. Then think of reason. So reason is very much how we think, you know, we logically think this. And you might hear people say, oh, well, I don't believe that because that just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, that's not how my brain works. I don't think about it like that. So that's reason, how you think. And then lastly, think of experience, which includes your emotions and your feelings. Some of the um, churches, I guess, in modern day are very big on that, Uh, bigger on that than they are on the Bible. You know, so I feel God is telling me to do this or do that. Or my experience is that God cannot be loving, so he must not be loving. Or my experience is that Christians are just horrible people or blah, blah, blah. And so they base everything they think about God and the church um, on their experiences. Oh, my experience is that there are more than one gender, you know, so the Bible must be wrong and outdated. But Christians who understand the Bible is breathed out by God don't have all these things equally, okay? They see it more like this. The Bible trumps all of these other things that are are authorities in our life. And, And don't get me wrong, the Bible actually speaks about all those things positively and encourages it. You think even if Paul here says to Timothy, hey, like, think about who taught you the Bible. Think about your mother's faith and your grandmother's faith. And let that shape how you live now. So there's tradition. There's reason. He says, like, you've been convinced of this. Continue in it. Oh, okay. So he wants him to think. Other places, Paul says, hey, this is really difficult, but just think over it and God will give you clarity. (laughs) You know, and then the Bible is very big on our experience as well. It includes our emotions. Just read the Psalms. But as Christians, these things must always find their rightful place under the Scriptures. Because all of those things, tradition, reason, experience, can all be faulty. But if the word of God is his breathed out word, it cannot be faulty. And so we can trust it and it should trump everything and be our ultimate authority in what it speaks on. Hopefully that was helpful to you. I've always found that really helpful. So that's the first one. Scripture is breathed out by God. It's authoritative in what it says, our ultimate authority. The second one is this. Scripture is able to make wise, complete, and equip us. And we see this in verses 15 and 17. 
Now, the point that I want to make here is that the Bible is completely sufficient to know God and to live a life pleasing to Him. Okay, so under point one, we saw that the Bible is the ultimate authority on this. Now we'll see that the Bible is all we need on this. It's, it's completely sufficient. So I'll just put that word there. Sufficient. So, for example, think, you, you think of someone, you grab someone, uh, I don't know, like one of those alien ships. You grab someone that, that knows how to read, and you just go drop them off on an island where there's no one and nothing, and you drop them down there with a Bible. Well, they've got everything they need to come to a true knowledge of God, to live a godly life, they know how to do that, and to stand perfectly righteous before Jesus one day, before the throne of God. All they need is the Bible. Now, don't hear me saying that, the, that, there's, no, that there's no reading other books to help us in our Christian lives, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is they're not necessary, which is very good news to someone like me, you know, who don't really like reading. And when I do read, it takes me hours to read through a couple of pages. Um, so what I need to know, and this is such good news for me, is that all I need is to master this book and for it to master me. If I can do that, one day I'll stand before Jesus and he says, well done. I don't need to have a big fat library behind me and have read a thousand books, even though that is helpful, especially books that help me understand the Bible. Now, there are three things, okay, that the Bible is sufficient for according to our passage. And the first is found in verse 15. Have a look at verse 15 with me. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is crystal clear on the fact that you need to be saved and how you need to be saved. There are many people these days who believe they don't need to be saved. That's a completely foreign idea to them. And the Bible says it's foolish to think that way. And the way that you gain wisdom in it is to be acquainted with the sacred writings or the holy writings or the holy Bible. Most Bibles on the back says the holy Bible. Now, Paul here is primarily talking about the Old Testament that Timothy would have been raised in, right? Um, but it's all of the Bible. We simply just don't have time to now start a whole other sermon, really, maybe a number of sermons on how those dots are connected, and so it applies to all of the Bible. But I think it might be sufficient to say that if the Old Testament can make you wise uh, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, surely the New Testament that's all about Jesus um, will be helpful in that as well. In fact, the New Testament completes the Old Testament. The point is, someone just needs to read the Bible and they will be made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, someone just needs to open up the Bible. That's some, a guy walked in here one time and he's like, hey, what is this building? You know, what do you guys believe? And all, all I tried to do is I said, hey, let's open up the Bible together. I just knew that if, if I can get this guy to start reading the Bible, we're on the right track. Okay, he might after a few weeks say, no, thank you, but it's like, hey, I'm done. My job is done. This is all I'm trying to do because as soon as they read the Bible, they will know that they've been created instead of them being here as an accident. They're not just a you know, banana or a monkey, give or take a few million years. God created them. Soon they will know that Mother Nature, Karma, Luck, none of those things are really in control. The God of the Bible, the sovereign creator God is in control. 
Soon they will know that all things aren't the way God designed it to be and created them to be, and that humanity has rebelled against God. They will learn that ultimately God will punish rebels and, and, and people that's rebelled against him, and he will put things right. They will learn that all humans have a bent inside of them to do evil, to reject God and to rebel against him. And they can't really do anything that pleases him unless he interferes. But they will learn that God did interfere, that he made a way for us to be made right with him and for all of our wrongs, our rejection and our rebellion to be paid. And he's, he's helped us to be instructed to actually live the right way. They would learn also, as they keep reading, that the temple worship, which is part of this, and, and the sacrificial system ultimately failed. Because why? Because it can't change us to our very core. It can't change our hearts. And so God promises that he's going to do something one day which will write his law in our hearts. Give us new hearts of flesh and rip out the old hearts of stone. And then they would come to the good news about Jesus, right? Who came to rescue rebels and those who were running away from God. They would see God's love in Jesus as he pursued them and did everything for them to be made right with their heavenly father who wants to reinstall them into the family, kind of like the prodigal son picture, right? Would see it that, that, that's, that you can have all of this by simply trusting in Jesus' work on the cross. That through that, their salvation can be secured. And would you believe it? Now all of a sudden, they're wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, as we see in verse 15. And the choice is up to them now whether they trust that or they reject it. Trust and obey, I would say. The second thing the Bible is sufficient for is to complete the people of God. Look there at verse 17 again, and I notice my translation says something different. It says that the man of God may be competent, but in the, in the latest ESV it says that the man of God may be complete. You see, if, if all of Scripture is taught as God's authoritative word and it's used for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, God's people will stand before him one day as complete, as perfect. And the Bible is sufficient for this. As people open it, as they trust it, as they obey it, as they seek God's transforming power by his spirit uh, in them as they do this, they will be perfected through life. And they will become more and more Christ-like. And he is the one that God says to, with you I am well pleased. And one day he will say this to all his people who trust and obey his written word. Psalm 119 puts it like this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Oh, gee, how do you get a way that's blameless? Who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, at the very least, um, what we see is that walking in the law of the Lord makes us blameless. Uh, now, the third and last thing that we see the Bible is sufficient for is to show us the good things we should do. Okay, as well as equip us for them. Look at the end of verse 17. And, and I think the NIV kind of puts these two points as one. It says that the man of God may be completely equipped or something like that. But I've taken them as two. That the man of God may be complete and also equipped for every good work. You see, at the very least, we see here that when the Bible is used biblically and it's responded to biblically, good works happen. Good works are the result. And so 
for Christians, you're always looking to see, hey, what are some of the good works? Where's the fruit of the faith that you proclaim? We are never to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word as well, as James warns us. Now, lots of Christians, I think, get this. And so then they often ask, well, what does God want me to do? And they get all anxious about doing the right thing. And, what, well, what do I know what he wants me to do today? And does he want me to wear a red tie or a blue tie? Or should I put my suit on and my jeans? Or, and they get all fuddled up, if you like, about what God wants them to do. And the reality is this. Everything that God wants us to do is in the Bible. Everything that God wants us to do is in the Scriptures. It might be as broad as something like love your neighbor as yourself that you can apply in a lot of different ways. Or it might be something more specific like show hospitality to strangers as they come through the door. It might be something that exact. The point is God is not unclear or secretive about what he wants us to do and the good things that he expects of us. It's all in the Scriptures. You read the Scriptures and you will know what those good works are and you will also be equipped for them. So, friends, the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient for a full and happy and godly Christian life. If we have the Scriptures, we don't need visions. We we don't need uh, weird dreams. We don't need um, angels appearing to us. If we have the scriptures, we don't need near-death experiences, so that cuts out about 70% of the books at Kurong. Um, We don't need that. We just need the Bible. Uh, We don't need audible voices from heaven. We've got it right here. Okay? We have the scriptures, and they are sufficient for life and godliness. We don't need more than this, and we don't need less of what we've got already. Probably what we need more of is just time in the scriptures. More love for the Scriptures. More storing up of the Scriptures as we memorize it and meditate on it. More valuing of the Scriptures. Valuing this more than money. Experiencing it as sweeter than honey and better than any food that we can get. Delighting, meditating on it. If we do that, we will be wise, we will be complete and we will be equipped for every good work. Now, there's a final application, I think, for all of us, and I'm going to finish with this, concerning the Bible. It's found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 4, with the bit that we haven't dealt with. And its warning is to both of those who share the word and those who receive the word, okay? For those who share the word, whether you're a parent, whether you're a kids teacher here at GBC Kids, a, a youth leader, whether you're an elder or a growth group leader, people who share the word, the application is this. Preach the word or teach the word. Don't stop. Even when your teaching don't seem to be radically changing people or doing what you're praying for and hoping for, as if it's not the season for it, maybe it feels a bit something like that. Keep patiently opening up the Bible and explaining the scriptures. You're going to be tempted to try and talk about something else or or to find another way to change people or motivate them. Don't Do it, okay? Keep teaching the Bible. Keep being faithful to these words because they are God's words. Keep being faithful to its meaning. Work hard at being clear and ordered. And above all, pray, okay? But don't give up. One day, Jesus will appear and he will bring about his kingdom. He will judge the living and the dead. And if you love him, 
you will preach his word. Remember what he said to Peter right at the end, just before he ascends. He says to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Right? Now, for those of us who are receivers of the word, which is all of us, even the guys that stand up here sometimes, keep listening to the truth and don't wander from it. That's a big thing that Paul's saying to Timothy. Don't wander from it. Keep going in this, Timothy. We live in a time when people don't endure sound biblical teaching that centers around Jesus. Instead of the Bible shaping them to their very core, even their passions and desires, they let their passions and desires shape who they listen to. And if you read the Bible and you understand it rightly, you will see that the human heart is rebellious and wicked and it'll find anyone to tell it that it's not so, that it's fine. It's perfect. Hey, she'll be right, mate. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. So people go, on, go around if they're like this and they're listening to teachers that scratch where it itches for them or they find teachers that always make them positive, right? Man, I love that guy. I feel so good when I leave him. It's got such a buzz. It's interesting. One time someone came here and... Um, uh, I think it was one of the times I was preaching, actually. She's like, oh, I didn't like that. And um, the guy that brought them along just said, you know, you won't always like it. That's part of, you know, what, what God's Word does. Sometimes it cuts us and exposes us. Sometimes it heals us, leads us and directs us. Just like we do with kids, right? We don't always tell them things that they like to hear, but we love them and that's how we love them. Some of these teachers, there's just no rebuking, no reproving and correcting. There's no training for righteousness. Hey, you got it pretty sorted already. And in the end, people can wander from the truth truth, and they end up believing myths. And this can happen in so-called churches too. So the question, I guess, is how is your listening? Who do you listen to? Does your desires and passions shape who you pick? And how much does that happen? Do you ever leave church or maybe a time under the Bible where you feel imperfect and you feel, gee, I need some, I need some help. I need some work done on me. Or, or are you just never convicted of any wrongs? Jesus says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so it's interesting, both the speaker of the Bible and the receiver of the Bible A love for Jesus joins us all. If we speak it faithfully, it's because we love him. If we listen to it carefully, it's because we love him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you certainly love us. We have seen it in your coming into this world. The word become flesh. You dwelt amongst us and revealed your glory to us, glory as of the one and only Father. And so we thank you for that. Thank you that you have come to show us your love, not just by speaking, but acting as you died on the cross for us. We just thank you so much for that. And thank you that we can love you uh, in return by opening up your word, hearing from you, responding, responding with um, obedience and faith. And as we do that, you will continue to love us and continue to manifest yourself to us. So Lord, we as a church have a really high view of the Scriptures as your breathed out word, as its ultimate authority on our lives. 
And may we rightfully put our, uh, our reason, our emotions and experiences and even our traditions under your truth. Will you please shape all of us that might indeed humble ourselves under your word. Lord, your, your word is good. It's a lamp unto our feet. It gives us life. It's sweet, sweeter than honey. It's purer than silver that's refined seven times. May we grow in our love for your word. May we repent and even uh, ask for forgiveness for how we've treated it. So belittling it and rejecting you in a lot of ways as we haven't spent time in your word. So give us a greater understanding of it. And may we not reject you, but embrace you and accept you by opening it up. And would you be so gracious as to continue to reveal yourself to us through it? Please, Lord, uh, we just thank you for this time that we've been able to think about it. We pray that you would continue to give us wisdom and understanding in this. And above all, that we would be transformed by this truth in the way we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.